0: This is Frank about sports aka the old man. You're listening to the official Mets weekly podcast hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show.
1: Okay, so apparently the Mets are forming a hip-hop hype team. According to the post that they made, the team will be called the Queen's Crew, and they will be part of a freestyle and choreographed hip-hop performances that will be on game days at Citi Field. Um, Now, I'm not saying that this is stupid, but I am glad that we finally get a way for Jeff McNeil fans to meet. Episode 37 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty, begins right now. So, as for your usual house cleaning, make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for the premiere of this very podcast every single week. Turn on those post notifications for instant live streams regarding breaking news all off season long. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, all of our individual links that are in. The description so I- i'd say that we can count on our hand with the amount of weeks we are away from spring training we are getting very very close to a lot of things wrapping up we have the mets making some transactions in and out of course on the 40-man roster and it looks like we're getting close to seeing what this roster is going to be shaping up to be guarding any crazy rumors that i'm sure we'll get into
0: this is getting very close to that season where we actually get to start seeing some of these new acquisitions play we get to see the prospects in some major league action and we heard this week about a lot of the big league invites which i think is very exciting to see if any of these guys actually kind of impress us in spring training and then decide do they go on triple a they go in double a how long is it going to take for they get to the big league so It definitely is kind of getting into that nitty-gritty, you know, that decision-making process. Like, okay, you have your 40-man roster, but let's see, you know, who's going to make that 26-man roster. They're those obvious guys, but I I just feel that there are some guys that are going to be battling out for certain spots, which we're going to find out very soon. They still have to make those finishing touches that we're going to get to before they're fully ready to go.
1: I mean, with a team that has kind of remained flexible with a lot of their options, I mean, we've looked at it and we've seen that there's going to be a lot to see in spring training. There's going to be a lot of Moving parts and a lot of specifically the pitching, but a lot of young talent that is going to be on display with them obviously loading up that farm system at the trade deadline. You'll see a few of those guys be featured and stuff like that. But as for right now with the Mets, let's get into what has been going on this week. So... I want to begin with something that I despise doing, and that being giving Andy Martino attention, but he did say something that has spread to panic, freak out in Mets land regarding the payroll outlook for 2024. Last Tuesday on Mets Hot Stove, Andy Martino reported that the Mets are almost done with their offseason and have about around $10 million to spend, clarifying that it's not a hard number, but in the ballpark of what the Mets could have left for future Additions this offseason, such as signings and trades. Martino added that the Mets are prioritizing relief pitching, and in terms of adding a bat to the offense, preferably a DH, is less of a priority. Post-arbitration settlements, the Mets' current payroll sits at an estimated $343 million, including the luxury tax bill. After notable offseason acquisitions such as Luis Severino, Sean Mania, Joey Wendell, Harrison Bader, and Jorge Lopez, as well as nearing $50 million in retained salaries for 2024 for Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and James McCann.
0: I do find this very interesting, and I find it kind of misleading and a little puzzling when you consider the fact that the New York Mets offered that $300 million-plus contract to Yoshino Yamamoto. And when the Mets didn't get Yamamoto, it's not like they spent anywhere close to $300 million. They even spent $200 million following that. So I find that, you know, they could say like, there's this number, but I think that going forward, if the right player presents itself, I do find that all of a sudden the Mets will have $300 million to spend. And what I always go back to as well was the Carlos Correa deal. You know, that was another deal where the Mets had, okay, here is $300 million. They don't get Correa, then don't make a single move after that. So it's like, where does the rest of that 300 million go? You know what I mean? So I, I do... Like, part of me gets it, but another part of me is a little frustrated when, again, I, I go, obviously, the video I did to and everybody saw it, if it feels like. I just don't like the idea of, okay, we have a certain number to spend. Let's give it to Harrison Bader when a guy like Teoscar Hernandez also gets a one-year contract. Like, if we're – like, I just find that to be a waste of $10 million. I I think that there are better things that you could do with that $10 million. And then to go, even the thing that bothers me a little more is they say, you know, our focus is bullpen and not necessarily DH. I'm actually of the opposite mindset. If it were up to me and I say, okay, I could have one solid DH or I could have another pretty good reliever. I don't think there are that many pretty good relievers available on the market. You know, the fact that Jordan Hicks is gone. Who else am I really prioritizing right now? You know what I mean? We, we know that Josh Hader's not coming here. You know, Hector Nery he's got some stuff that you like, maybe. But for me, it's like, okay, but if I still have guys like Jorge Soler available, I would much rather be focusing on that compared to worrying about the bullpen. And I, I just don't love the idea that they say, okay, you know, we're just going to totally trust Mark Vientos. And my main reason for that is the fact that they're doing the same thing with Brett Beatty. And that's where it gets a little dicey because like, okay, you want to count on one prospect in your lineup. Okay. I kind of get it, but now you're counting on two and it's like, all right, now, now you're really getting risky. Cause if both of these guys don't get the job done now, where are you turning? And then to make matters worse, they picked up a player in Harrison Bader, who is just not even average offensively. I mean, th- that's what it comes down to. So you've now done basically a third of your lineup could, it's just very, uh, lackluster I would say it's just very skeptical it's risky and then if McNeil has another down year like he did last year if Marte's banged up again you know what are we really working with here I mean you're really looking at Nemo Alonzo Lindor Alvarez because the other half I mean there's question marks so for with the bullpen it's like okay at least I have Edwin Diaz at least I have Brooks Rayleigh. you know I'm counting on Jorge Lopez to bounce back I just don't I just find that like a everyday player, in this case, a designated hitter is going to be more impactful for this team than a reliever or two relievers. When the grand scheme of things, especially like we've talked about that secondary power source for Alonzo, it's been on our checklist every year and still has yet to be addressed. So I I still find, you know, a couple of glaring things that are like right there that they're saying, okay, we're just going to focus on bullpen instead, instead of addressing these other things that we've been talking about time and time again. So I understand it, but I disagree with it is ultimately what it comes down to.
1: No, I think it's pretty fair for any Mets fan to disagree that they should just spend $10 million for the rest of the off season, because there is glaring weaknesses on this roster. And we've talked about it day in, day out week after week on this very podcast when you look at a certain budget of like 10 million dollars that could possibly get you like two relievers three relievers around in that ballpark there is like three spots in this bullpen that we all want to fill that do not include drew smith do not include minor leaguers do not include other pieces there's about you know four locks which you know we'll get into uh In a bit but i'm not surprised and i've I've been saying this for a long time i'm not surprised that there is 10 million left to spend if that is actually true i don't know if it is if there's only 10 million left to spend you look at the mets payroll you have you know Lindor getting paid you have uh, nimmo getting paid you have like these retained salaries with verlander scherzer and mccann for this year you know you also have the arbitration numbers which were just done this week so that's another Decent amount of, I don't know, $35 million or whatever, most of it being Alonzo, almost $350 million, and that is with the luxury tax bill. And listen, I understand Mets fans being like frustrated of where the Mets, they could have a $600 million payroll. They could 100% have a $600 million payroll and just blow everyone out of the water and just throw throw money at anything that is possible. But it's just not a sustainable way to keep things up. And even though their owner is worth almost $20 billion, it's just not going to flow as smoothly as people think it's going to. I understand he's worth a lot of money. There is going to be somewhat of a limit of how you can distribute this money. I, I don't think that the Mets have the motivation to go another $450 million payroll after what has happened these last two years. Like, I think that it's okay for them to take a step back, but again, the opportunity has to present itself. We'll get into those in a second. Everything that is going on with the Mets payroll right now, the guys who are guaranteed contracts, the guys who are here for the next year, it looks like this is going to be, in terms of spending money, it's a pivot year. It looks like a pivot year because they're giving out all these one year deals. I don't think that it's Stern's looking at this team like a big, like a small market team, like I said last week. I think he's realizing what situation they're in right now. I'm not really upset as to what they're doing right now because. I know what 2025 has to offer in the free agent market, and i much rather pursue a lot more pieces there to impact this lineup. I understand you have pete Alonso on his last year possibly there is a there is a reality where he's here's he's gone when you just look at what the mets have done and you know they they almost had a hundred million dollars in luxury tax bill before they even did anything this offseason like that's how bad it was for a majority 50 million dollars that you're paying guys to not even freaking play for again like i said if you didn't want an offseason like this don't hire Billy Epler to do your GM job. If you did not want an off-season like this where they're not fully aggressive and they're doing all these one-year deals of quality and quantity and things like that, adding to the depth, then you can thank Billy Epler for putting them in this position. And listen, I understand Billy Epler at at that trade deadline. I don't want to go fully into him because I'm tired of talking about him. But at that trade deadline, he did what he needed to do, obviously. But he would not have done that If it wasn't for Steve Cohen's money, Steve Cohen's money is the only thing saving the Mets from exploding into oblivion and trading away the entire goddamn team. Steve Cohen's money is saving them from being in big trouble. It's not going to just be the 100% advantage to this free agent market. And I get it being frustrated with the Dodgers, like you said, with Teoscar Hernandez of that one year deal that they gave him. But the Dodgers are in a position where they can do that they can get shohei otani they can get tyler Glasnow. they can get yoshinobu yamamoto they can get teoscar hernandez they can get all of these pieces they're probably not even done because they had what a 100 plus win team that you know went to the playoffs that was good enough to contend and now they're making it even better the mets won 75 games last year they were terrible and they had the highest payroll in baseball so i don't understand wanting to do that for a third year in a row i get the frustration but like you have to understand the position that the mets are in
0: yeah i mean uh, i'm not asking for them to exactly duplicate the dodgers but i i do think that you know year in year out we're, we've seen the same thing with the dh position yeah and i've wanted them to address it externally instead of trying all these internal options that have not worked what are we at like 10 guys maybe that they've tried maybe 11. more 11. 11 exactly so One of them is Travis
1: Blankenhorn in one game. So just, so 10.
0: So 10, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So you tried 10 guys who were, again, not big acquisitions, a lot of internal options, you know, these small deals to get the Darren Ruffs and all these other guys. You get but count Holder, which is insane. But for none of that to work, it's like, what, and for me, it's that, if you want to know what Alonzo is truly worth and find out what his value is, can I see real power protection behind him? Just one year. If this is the one year we got him, let me see what he could do. If he finally has like a full team around him and see what this guy can actually do. Because if the measure of the mindset, well, Oh, you know, is he just now a power You know, what is he really worth? Get a guy like Jorge Soler and put him behind him. And then let's find out, you know, just how good Pete Alonzo really is. Cause I, I think he would be even better as an all-around hitter. Maybe not so much the home runs, but I think you see just a more complete player because the pitchers have to approach him differently and he should just be easier for him to have better results. doesn't have to play hero ball all the time. And for them to just kind of, you know, do his other things, like, I don't know. For me, I just wouldn't have prioritized Harrison Bader and center field defense over the glaring power, you know, the lack of power I should say that they don't have outside of only the couple guys that produ- produce the Francisco's and Pete, maybe Nemo. We'll see if the second half thing was real or not, what kind of player he wants to be. But I, I just think that they, pri- I, I prioritize different things than David Stearns to That That's what I think it ultimately comes down to. And if they're going to be operating under a little bit of a smaller budget I think it should have been spent a little more in other areas instead of being so, you know, crazy on defense. When even I look at if we're talking about internally, I like my chances better with, you know, the Drew Gilberts and all these other, you know, minor leaguers that might come up to have an impact compared to Harrison Bader, who, again, has not even been average offensively. And that's if he's on the field, you know, the fact that guy has an injury history. So to me if it that's what really it kind of builds up and just carries over when it's like okay we have a small budget but we're gonna get 10 million harrison pater it's like the stuff like that just doesn't make total sense to me as far as the way i look at the team yeah i mean the thing about that is that
1: like again I, i wouldn't call it a transition year but what i'm saying is like you look at this current payroll this current situation You know, as they're eating this money with Verlander, as they're eating this money with Scherzer and McCann, it looks like there is a huge window and they're opening up a massive window, which I'm happy about for the young players. I'm really happy that they're doing that. We're gonna see a lot of of Mark Vientos. We're gonna see a lot of Drew Gilbert. We're gonna see a lot of these prospects. It sucks that we don't get to see Ronnie Mauricio, but like that's a different story. All the deals and all these little like placeholders of of Harrison Bader and you know if they were to add like another infielder like Joey like if they had Joey Wendell. From what I saw from them signing Harrison Bader, I think that they're going to give a good good chance to Drew Gilbert. They're going to give a good chance to all of these you know all of these other all of these younger other pieces and i'm happy that they're doing that but let's not forget what the main need has been in this lineup we already know what it is i'm okay if you have a top five that is you know just pure shit records i'm fine with i'm good with that we know six seven and eight and nine it's gonna be a nightmare we know it is gonna be a nightmare i I really don't even care at this point just get me somebody that can sit there past pete alonso because if it ends with pete alonso Pete Alonso is the only one that is going to be doing something. So obviously we'll get into the DH conversation because there has been rumors that have floated around about the DH conversation. But right now I'm just not really surprised. I've, I've kind of been going along with it because it's just a situation that the Mets are in that sucks, but it sucks a little bit less because you have Steve Cohen's money. I don't think that they have Steve Cohen's money to spend right now, and that's what's really pissing off a lot of Mets fans. So as for the Mets pivoting that so-called $10 million to the reliever market, the Mets have been linked to multiple arms over the past week. Joel Sherman of the New York Post reported that the Mets have been associated with left-handed pitcher Wendy Peralta. Peralta has spent the last three seasons with the Yankees, posting a 2.82 earn run average, a 4.06 fielding independent pitching Striking out 21.1% of batters across 153 innings pitched. The 32 year old reliever is a hard throwing lefty with a high 90s four seam that tops 97, high 90s running sinker, hard gyro cutting slider, and a primary side spinning changeup. The Mets have also been linked to John Brebia, a two pitch right handed reliever with a high rising 90s fastball and a high spin action slider. The 33 year old Brebia has posted a 3.83 earn run average, 3.69 fielding independent pitching striking out 23% of batters across 124.2 innings pitched. The Mets have also been linked to other relievers, such as Hector Nerys, Phil Maton, as well as other trade conversations, including Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin from Boston. The Mets bullpen currently sits at four 2024 locks, headlined by star closer Edwin Diaz, lefty side slinger Brooks Raley, joined by the offseason season additions of Jorge Lopez and Austin Adams.
0: Peralta, I feel like he really fits uh, what the Mets have been doing uh, mainly because he is a former Yankee, and it seems like that has been a pretty top priority for David Stern. So try to bring in all of the uh, Yankee free agents. So he definitely would fall right in line there. But is he
1: better than Chase and Shreve, though? I would sure out. hope so. Because
0: we'll if, if, if he's not, that would be uh, that'd be very alarming. But for Peralta, he would give something that you know some people are for. Some people, it's not as much a priority. But obviously, giving you that second left-handed pitcher and it kind of gives you some more versatility as far as what you want to do with Brooks Raley. And that's what I like is that I like having the flexibility that I could bring Brooks Raley into the fifth inning if the situation called for it. Like if Sean I gives me, you know, four and two-thirds innings, and then, you know, I have a big out I need to get, then I could bring in Brooks Raley in the fifth inning. And then all of a sudden you're facing the lower half, or you can go to your other guys, whoever, it is, whoever else it is that the Mets add. And then if that left-hander comes up again later on, I could go back to – um, now I could go to Peralta on the seventh thing. So, again, I just like that it gives them options, you know, whether it's, you know, Manai making the start or even Adrian Hauser making the start. You need someone to come in. Like just giving – just not having Brooks Rayleigh solely in the back end of the bullpen with Edwin Diaz, allowing him to kind of float around, I feel like would be more valuable for them as far as just kind of opportunities. But with Peralta, he's been a guy – he's been solid the past few seasons, you know, with the Yankees. You know, ever since leaving the San Francisco Giants, they've seemed to figure out something with him. And, again, like we've said, we're of the mindset that Stearns has done a – obviously done a good job evaluating pitchers, you know, finding things that he likes. And, you know, one of the other things about Peralta is that age, you know, 31 years old, it seems like he's kind of, you know, getting better and really finding himself as a pitcher. And for him to, you know, just be consistent year after year – it's not something you could take for granted, especially when it comes to relievers, because we, we know it's always you know like good year, bad year, things like that. So from to string together a few good seasons in a row is not something you often see, and you know being able then, you know I know we I I made the joke about the former Yankees, but having some kind of New York experience it is always a good thing. This way really doesn't totally take you by surprise. And I, I find that you know definitely important for pitchers, guys, who are going to be in high-pressure situations out of the bullpen on these high-leverage scenarios. Uh, having a guy like Juanita Peralta who's kind of done it a little bit, uh, that definitely would be nice. I mean, he's gotten four seasons this year. He got four seasons last year as well. So he's even closed out some games too. So I also think having that in your arsenal is also very important because like we've seen before – Not having Edwin Diaz also have to do everything would also be nice because, like I said, with Brooks Raley, do the same thing with Diaz. Okay, we need him to come in the eighth inning. Maybe we need him to come in the seventh thing. It's like, okay, well, at least, you know, Peralta might end up getting the save when it's all said and done or the tenth thing. Like, there's so many different scenarios. So I'm definitely good with Peralta. I do think it'd be a good move for them. As far as, uh, you know, John Bravia, Bravia, however you want to say it, you know, he's another guy who he's had, you know, some. Pretty solid seasons lately with San Francisco. Uh, he's a guy who hasn't been as good. He's right-handed, so doesn't give you, you know, that lefty – it led so important to some pitchers with matchups and things like that. Also made some starts and things like that for San Francisco since they try to be like Tampa Bay and do these you know weird openers and things like that. So he's kind of been around a little bit uh, and just I don't think he's quite this. He's obviously a different pitcher than Peralta is. So I feel like with what the Mets have right now, I think that Peralta would be the better fit. And that's someone who I would be looking at. Um, as far as these other guys, I think Hector Norris, there's a lot of people in that market. I feel like he may end up even getting a multi-year deal. So I don't really see something that the Mets are pursuing. As far as the Kenley and Chris Martin thing, obviously Chris Martin I'm all for. I don't care. He's the one guy who kind of is different than the whole you know don't target older players because he doesn't need to be young and throw 100 miles an hour because this is a guy that doesn't walk batters, keeps the ball on the ground. It's something that he's just, like we said with Peralta, just – Literally year after year with Chris Moore, no matter what team you put him on, he's always doing a really good job. So I'd be all for him. Kenley, I I try to be avoiding that. This obviously not the same guy. He's gotten worse as time has gone on, and I just think that you know him coming to New York where he hasn't been before, and a lot of expectations would be placed under him. And I think trying to figure out you know how do you use him as well you know with Edwin Diaz because you know Kelly's going to want to close and things like that so I would try to avoid that honestly I I would rather just make the move from Martin because I I think he'd be a really good fit Uh, he's getting paid you know nothing crazy honestly by Boston so he kind of fits their timeline and their budget most importantly so you know there's a couple of options and everyone kind of brings something different to the table Uh, but I think out of all of them obviously I like Chris Martin but I do think Peralta would also be a nice
1: one thing I do like about Peralta and it's kind of like my deal with lefties is it's either you get strikeouts or you get ground balls I don't give a shit if you can pitch to left only lefties you can only pitch to right-handed hitters I prefer you to pitch to both because this is 2024 and nobody gives a shit about a lefty specialist one thing I love about Wander Peralta is that he's a hard hard throwing lefty again this is something that you really need in the Mets bullpen besides from Edwin Diaz that being velocity you have a hard throwing lefty and a, and a soft tossing lefty who's got ridiculous spin and Brooks Rayleigh who's nasty as they come Peralta would be a fantastic ad and for those of you who are wondering why uh, the fielding independent pitching is so high it's because that is a metric that does not like walks whatsoever and that's one of the main reasons why. I look at it, but we have really seen David Stearns really do well kind of just having a conglomerate of lefties coming out of his pen from different types of styles, whether it is in the rotation as your sixth starter who can go extra distance or somebody in high leverage like Josh Hader or somebody you know who can just get you a ground ball if you need him to. And this is kind of falls under that category of different, different things that uh, Wendy, Wendy Peralta can do. This Brebia guy, um, I don't know much about him, but I know that he's like this hilarious personality um, that New York would love. Like, sure, <laughs> um, that's not really what I'm looking for, but it falls under the category of better than Drew Smith, but not as better as you think it is. Like, I think that he's solid, but like, I don't think that it's like something that I would 100% pursue. and. This is the guy that I would 100% get. He is like the main guy that I would have, I would take um, to bolster this bullpen. He also made 10 starts last year. I don't know what went on there with with Brebia, but that was the thing or whatever. Maybe it's like something similar to what Shamanaya was doing. I think these are good arms that they have gone after. I, I'm kind of glad they didn't get Brett Suter. Guys like David Stearns, he has had success under under him, and he's been decent for a good time. But this pen. When I look at it, it needs velocity. It needs velocity so goddamn bad, and he doesn't have it. Like I need strikeout stuff, I need, you know, dazzling sinkers, hard sliders, that's what they need out of the pen. Which you should be mainly looking at is strikeout stuff for relievers, especially for this uh type of game these these days. I don't I don't mind having a crafty lefty but he's got to get me some whiffs. He's got to get me that those high leverage pieces. I'm not trying to see relievers sweat it out. Uh, You know, give me these 30 pitch outings and stuff like that. I need blowaway stuff in that pen, especially from the back end. Um, And, you know, even though we do see a few pieces that are there, we'd like to add somebody else. It all really just depends on one year deals or one year with an option or something like that. That's what they're going to do for relievers because... You know, I would love to go after the Robert Stevensons of the world. I'd love to go after uh, these other pieces to protect, you know, the un- the somewhat uncertainty they have with Evan Diaz because he is going to be coming back for injury. You never know. It's just how it is. I love Brooks Rally and uh, Jorge Lopez is a great bounce-back candidate. We'll see how they do sculpt this bullpen, but we all know what our main goal is. We have said it 7,000 times at least a day. Push Drew Smith down the death chart.
0: I like what you said there. I mean, uh, I... am At some point I do want to see them try to get guys who are like I've said before, have at least have a little bit of are established, have had quality seasons recently. You know, I I don't want all projects. I I just think that, you know, some of them are gonna go your way, but not all of them are. So I do want to see them take at least a couple guys who again, like you said, just have some stuff because we've seen obviously with Houston this past year, or actually it was two years ago more, more so it really stood out where literally a bunch of guys that not everybody knows, but every single one of those guys threw super hard and it didn't matter. Like right-handed, left-handed, just every guy in there was throwing 97 plus. Me and the Mets have like a guy in Edwin Diaz that does that and nobody else. And he's the, obviously the best reliever on the team. So I, I just, like you said, I do want to see at least some other guys who have, decent stuff that have good stuff that have high velocity that you could work with and and really try to make something out of, because like I said, like with contact managers and some of these other types of pitches we've seen to bring in their ceiling is very limited. And it's like, there's only so much you really could do here with the actual tools that you have at your disposal. So I I do want to see them try to go with that different approach that you see the other teams do that have these really quality bullpens year in, year
1: out. Yeah. I mean, you just got to give me the best arms. You got to give me the best arm talent for, relievers you got to give me the best arm talent for a bullpen that's how that succeeds and you know like you just said with with contact managers and things like that you know they are just very limited in the sense where most of the contact managers they brought in here are in the mid, their mid-30s, so it's like yeah. you, you know, yep. there's no ceiling there. You can't turn them into strikeout mm-hmm. pitchers and, you know, they miss a spot, this shit's going to go over the fence. I mean, and we've seen that happen before. They've had those results before and they've done it based off of track record and it's come back to bite them in the ass. You know, you need to see like some kind of upswing if you're going to bring in these experienced pieces. I think Wendy Peralta definitely goes into that category of like someone who's been proven, but it's not like this guy is the main stage reliever. He he doesn't need to be the closer to be great. He doesn't need to be this to be one of the best relievers on your team. I, I mean, I I think Ryan Stanick's the perfect fit here. Yeah. I think it's it's just so perfect. Whether you want to talk about, you know, him, his personality in New York, or whether you want to look at just the overall stuff that he has that is like just a perfect slot in that can be closer in a pinch and can get you strikeouts. And could be your eighth inning guy and take a little bit, even more weight off of Brooks Raley as well and take some weight off of Edwin Diaz. If I'm going to get a backup closer, I'm not just going to get a guy like David Robertson who's done it before. I need someone who's got high leverage stuff to pair up with Edwin Diaz. What has happened with the experience the last two years, I mean, since... Cohen took over I mean they've brought in a lot of guys who've just been based off of experience it has not really sustained anything and not many of them have stuck the selection of arm talent that's what bullpens need to succeed in the future for projected success and that's that's something that the Mets really do need to focus on is basically catching lightning in a bottle what they have liked and what they will like in the future. Now, continuing with pitching after signing Shamanaya to a two-year deal, Mark Feinson reported that the Mets are actively trying to trade for more starting pitching. Although it's unclear what caliber pitching they will acquire on the trade market, the Mets have been one of the multiple teams checking in on White Sox star pitcher Dylan Cease, whose ask continues to be steep regarding two to three premium prospects. Other starting pitchers to watch on the trade market include Marlins left-handed pitcher Jesus Lazardo, who is ex- expected to be shopped aggressively, as well as Logan Gilbert, Freddie Peralta, Mitch Keller, and Tyreek Skubel At its current state, the Mets rotation is headlined by breakout ace Kodai Senga, along with the additions of Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, and the trade acquisition of Adrian Hauser, as well as 35-year-old lefty Jose Quintana, with the David Stearns likeliness of a six-man rotation, sixth arm options for the Mets include Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo, and David Peterson, who will miss the first few months of the season recovering from hip surgery. This is actually kind of weird because I'm pretty sure after the Sean Manaya signing, there was some reports from other sources that the Mets may have been done with their rotation and then hours later it says that they were trading so i don't know what the hell is true here
0: with the offseason you never really know exactly who to believe as far as when teams say oh they're done they're not done like actions speak louder than words so we'll see if any of these guys you know they do add but for me i think the guy that probably makes the most sense in my opinion is freddie peralta and i know we just talked about wanya peralta but I think there's a lot to like with Freddie Peralta, you know, obviously the David Stern connection, no doubt about it. Milwaukee, this, that, and the other, whatever. He was an all-star a couple years ago. So I I like that, you know, that's always very important to me that they were an all-star the age. That's another massive thing. Here's a guy who just finished a 27 year old season about to enter his prime. So that's perfect for, if you want to build a starting rotation. And the other thing to me that I think is also really key is, okay, they've been making a lot of these one year deals. Like, severino one-year deal quintana last year of his deal is Sanger gonna opt out how long is um sean and i got that if he has a decent year adrian how's how long is he gonna be here like for me there's no actual like guys i like okay they're gonna be here for a while one of the best things about freddie peralta is that contract this is a guy that has a club option in 25 and a club option in 26 AAV of three million dollars like that combination is almost impossible to get where you have a guy – and you know what? He's not an ace. He's not going to win you a Cy Young. He's not a number one. Is he number two? On his good days, yeah. Yeah. But what he does is something that is still very important to having a quality rotation. Here's a guy who hangs hang out right in the middle of your rotation on a good team and your number three. That's where he was with Milwaukee, with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. He hovers around your number three. He gives you 30 starts, great age, great contract, consistent year after year. Again, not amazing numbers, but very good numbers. And I just think that he checks all the boxes of what any team would want. And I think most importantly, what this team could need and I, I think that based off the other pieces that are already in this rotation, I think this is a guy that you slide right in there because not only I, I they're not getting Dylan I mean, let's call it like it is. I feel like you know there are other teams that really could use him, and for them to not uh, give up to that asking price, which you know is a lot of high end prospect talent. That we know the mets are not going to give up i mean that's been evident in the steve cohen era they're not going to be trading a lot of this top end talent so i, I would just kind of cross dylan sees off of the board um jesus lizardo he's a guy that obviously his career's kind of been all the place we've seen good moments we've seen bad moments it's the marlins would they be willing to trade a starting pitcher i feel like they try to fleece us honestly i feel like they try to really increase the asking price to the mets Tarek Skubal is one that I like a lot. You know, I also love his age. Here's a guy who's left-handed, so he has that, again, that contract control because I I do want to see them, if they're going to have, like, this window of sustained success, there has to be at least some young starting pitchers that are going to be here year after year at very reasonable cost. So I think a guy like Skubal, who had a very nice season this year, albeit a small sample size, would definitely be someone I'd be interested in and I would hope he, he would not cost anywhere near what a Dylan Cease would cost. So it would kind of fit more of what the Mets are looking for. Again, another guy that hang in your mid rotation. And then another guy who also is very appealing to me is a guy like Logan Gilbert, again, the age and things like that. So there definitely are, in my opinion a lot more enticing options in the trade market compared to free agent market i think these guys are better fits for the Mets than the guys in the free agent market and this is where i really want to see them go after i mean i would be very happy if they got a freddie peralta or a couple of these other guys i mentioned because uh, like we've said like okay they have a rotation it's okay. It's not great. It's not something that you feel comfortable with in the playoffs. And if you actually did add one more guy, like a Walter or whoever, you actually have an okay six-man rotation now. Like a six-man rotation is way more feasible and much sustainable, I think, and easier to envision actually happening when you have that group as the guys on your team. So I did want to see them added because, again, it's like, okay, the rotation is okay, but how about let's be good? how about that like can we actually be good um so i would i would like them to add a guy there's a trademark no doubt
1: with the rotation they really have to be careful with how they distribute this because the two um pitchers that are making the most money in the mets rotation are not even pitching for us this year so i think that when you look at it you already have 40 million dollars dead uh, in this rotation that uh, was, like, being spent for, like, what was it? 100 About $130 million last year, and it was so goddamn bad. So I think the best way to look at it, if you are going to make another addition to the rotation, it needs to be on the trade market. Like, it has to be because you need some flexibility with somebody in that rotation because you look at it right now, Senga's the only one that I think is, like, guaranteed to be there next year, or does he have an opt-out after year two? I think it's year three or something like that. I thought it was I thought it was year three. It might be year three, something like that. So you look at you know, Severino, Manaya, Adrian Hauser, Jose Quintana, all of these guys could be gone next year. Having the top of your rotation with Sangha and a controllable starter as your number two, that's a good foundation going into the next year, whether you Like what you saw in a prospect, let's say Blade Tidwell breaks out or Christian Scott breaks out. I think that the Mets need a one-two for next year and a one-two for this year, obviously, to make the six-man rotation a lot better depth-wise. I like Tyler McGill, of course. We know I have a soft spot for him. But I would like to see him in a trying pinch right now, probably start off in AAA or maybe just start off in the bullpen, something like that. Like, I don't want to see him as the six, the first ever sixth man. Like, I would like to see maybe, I'd like to see Hauser as the sixth man, or, you know, if there's an injury, you have the sixth man as Severino or something. Like, I want to see them, like, deep in this rotation. Again, like I've said, with quantity, I think the best way to cap this off is on the trade market. That being said, Jesus Lazardo is the main guy that I'm going after right now, because... That is a potential ace right there, okay? This is someone who throws freaking gas from the left side, disgusting slider. I mean, this is a strikeout pitcher who's only 26 years old, control through 2027. I mean, this is the number one guy that I would go after. The problem is, and like we've said with Dylan Cease, similar to Dylan Cease, the asking price could be very similar to what it was with Dylan Cease now again i think that overall when he hits the stride jesus lizardo will be one of the best pitchers in all of baseball like he was expected to be um when he was there with oakland but it just you know didn't work out but now he's kind of hit that stride now so i think that that is a perfect number two i don't care if he's a lefty or you have too many lefties or you have too many righties or whatever get me the best talent and this is incredible talent right here this is a strikeout pitcher the top of your rotation and comparing to verlander and scherzer and then Senga and lizardo it's younger they can only get better and you have the years of control there were some concerns about lizardo and some injury history last year 32 starts and we've talked about this before 32 starts at a 25 year old season if he can continue to do something like that i mean you know, that is something that the Mets are really, really going to need from the top end of the rotation. Right now, I love Sean Manaya. I think that Manaya is someone who could be a two in a pitch. At his best, he can be a two. Lee Severino's been a two before. Adrian Hauser back into the rotation. Jose Quintana back into the rotation. I think that you have potential twos in Manaya and Severino, but on the upswing, of a guy who could be possibly an ace, of a guy like, like Jesus Lazardo. Dylan Cease, I think, is is kind of a long shot. Logan Gilbert. Um, I, I'd love to get uh, Mitch Keller. I think Mitch Keller is a fantastic pitcher. You know, just these young, controllable pieces, if you are going to address the trade market. Speaking of realistic ways of how this might go, I think they're just going to get another back-end piece. I think that they're just going to kind of address it in the way that like maybe they went for either Hauser, how they traded for Lucchese, like these just back end pieces that you just swing a little trade for. If they could get a number two starting pitcher on the trade market, I would love to attach a crappy reliever contract on there or something like that. Like just get something out like another piece so it can kind of lower it because the Mets are just so hesitant to give up these prospects. And I understand not wanting to do it, but, you know, again, if the opportunity presents itself where the Marlins are calling you of what you want for Jesus Lazardo, i do it. I definitely would do it. And, and a lot of it goes for all these other pitchers, like Tariq Skubal is another one with high upside. I get it. You might see it with maybe some pitching prospects. One of them will stick. You'll see something in spring training that you like. But I would like to see, you know, some of the major league experience, but guys who are on the upswing to be your number two starter. I don't need to see the Mets just shell out Eight years to Jordan Montgomery because he had a good ERA in the in the postseason, and he's going to continue to do that at age 30. I, I think that they're going to address the trade market with back-end pieces, but I think the best way to do it is to pair somebody up with Senga.
0: No matter how you look at it, the guys that they have right now in the rotation are not the guys they're going to have going forward. Because the way I see it is that you have Luis Severo on a one-year deal. If he's awful, I'm not re-signing him. <laughs> yeah, I'm of like, course. No, stay away from me. But... If he somehow becomes really good again, someone's overpaying him and giving yeah, him a crazy ace contract, which you're also not doing. So no matter what, he's not gonna be here. So that's why it's like, okay, then where are you gonna get that cost control? Because you do you have it maybe. Like again, like you're like, okay, let's say i spring training. Like, does Christian Scott step up? Does Hamill step up? Does Titwell stand up? Vassal? Like, does anyone step up? Whereas you could just like, okay, let's make a trade and get someone we know is good. Like, let's just get Peralta or Lizard or somebody and just kind of solve all your worries and not have all these question marks. I think it's just really important because, you know, the one team that for the Mets, as we all know, that did get far, was either the great young rotation, you know, and we don't do we have. The grom in the farm system do we have harvey and wheeler and noah and all them guys hanging out still no so how else are you gonna work on building up these young pitchers by acquiring them like if you don't have it go get it
1: i think it's just the perfect scenario right now you just look at the rotation you don't have it you don't have a two there you have a one you have your number one you have your guy but you need somebody else there Because that's just kind of how it was, you know, formulated with like this certain wild card series. If they were to get there, we're not saying they're not going to, but, you know, you need a one, two, a one, two, three. And right now they have like a few threes, a few fours, back end pieces, and then your ace and sanga. So when there is the game that you need to win, you know, you go to, you know multiple pitchers that you know can probably step up in that type of environment you know there has to be a controllable piece that isn't a prospect the top of that rotation because you know you'd like to build for next year which we have seen the mets kind of take the focus to 2025 a little bit more than 2024 trading for a number two or trading even for a number one a and one b pair up with i think that's the best way to do it so before we get into this next segment i just want to specify that this is just a rumor and has not been confirmed by any high tier mlb reporters but it has been a blazing hot topic we'll do diligence here now according to robert murray of the baseball insiders podcast and reporter hector gomez the Mets are showing heavy interest in slugging outfielder slash DH or a Solaire among other teams such as the Red Sox and Blue Jays. A source also confirmed that Solaire will be seeking a multi-year deal with at least three years guaranteed where the Blue Jays are publicly willing to pursue that said term. And an impression was given that Boston could get outbid for Solaire with the Mets interest level fairly unknown. The free agent outfielder has also been linked to the Diamondbacks and Mariners who are reportedly also looking to add a bat to their starting lineup. Jorge Solaire is 31 years old and coming off another career year in Miami where he slashed 250, 341, 512 with a 126 weighted runs created plus smashing 36 homers across 580 plate appearances along with being a penciled in 30 home run bat when healthy Soler also has a monstrous postseason career an all time an all time 1021 OPS across 87 plate appearances as a former multi World Series champion with the Cubs in 2016 and the Braves in 2021 Mets president of baseball operations David Stearns went on John Heyman's podcast and spoke on regarding the DH position Stearns established that the Mets will continue to Explore all areas of their team to make it better, and they will not close the door on anything regarding the offense, but they need to make sure that they give their younger players some space to play. Over the offseason, the Mets have also been linked to other DH options, such as JD Martinez and Justin Turner, both perennial veteran offensive stalwarts, and coming off of career years in 2023. Current internal options for the Mets at DH include graduated prospect Mark Vientos and DJ Stort, who was brought back earlier this. This offseason and contains team control through 2027.
0: Horace Soler is a perfect fit for this New York Mist team. I mean, uh, this guy, he checks all the boxes that you need to be checked. Great against left handed pitching, prolific power bat, consistent power bat. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, ever since 2019 with the Juice ball, every him and P. Alonso were kind of battling it out at one point for the National League League. I mean, I mean not National League, but, you know, just in, in all of baseball because Soler was you know, hovering around 50 home runs that year. This guy that, you know, last year gives you 36 home runs in 137 games, uh, doing it in non-easy ballpark in Miami. Uh, he's played also with the Braves, did well in the postseason, so he's got that going for him. And just being in National League East this past couple of years, that's always a plus. He also has played plenty of time in right field, not even just left, but also some right field. So, you know, 31 years old, going around 32, so still basically in his prime. He just gives you everything that you could possibly want. And uh, for me, it's like, like I said before, if I have a budget and I have to prioritize guys and things like that, he's someone I would have prioritized. You know, like if it was like, okay, Toscar wanted to be a Dodger or whatever, like I would have prioritized this guy. And even if he had to get a multi year deal, two years, three years, that's fine by me because the way I look at it, especially even with the uncertainty of Alonzo, where else is the power coming from? I mean, that's really ultimately what it comes down to. Like we said, I mean, we've had the DH since 2020. We had the Mets have to be probably the worst in all of baseball, I, I would think, since it's been They got to be one of the worst, I would think. One of the worst. As yeah. far as just pure production, fix it already. You know what I mean? And again, it's like, okay, even if Marte goes down or something, at least Soler could play the outfield every now and then and even give Marte some days off so he, he stays throughout the course of the season. Like we talked about with the six-man rotation, just trying to be able to keep your players on the field. I think giving Marte some days of rest, giving Nimmo some days of rest, even having them DH while Soler gets a start or a two, not in a massive game in a playoff game or anything like that, but just having that option I think would also just be so beneficial for this team that it's, it's just crazy to me that here's a guy who is a perfect fit for your team, Is not going to cause anything astronomical yet. I don't think they're going to get him. I I get the sense that they kind of are focused on getting the relievers, maybe another back end starting rotation piece. I mean, that's just the sense I get based off the way they've approached this offseason. You know, like I, I just think that even though he's a great fit, I don't see them doing it.
1: I think that the Mets are interested but I don't think that they are the favorite to get him. And I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think think that this report is bullshit. It's a player that the Mets like have not been linked to, but you've just like expected them to be linked to eventually. And I think that's, what's kind of going on here rather than the Mets actually just full on pursuing him because we don't know what they're willing to do in terms of the DH position. Like if they, you know, get a DH on a one-year deal like a veteran of a J.D. Martinez or Justin Turner or something like that, you know, that might be a little bit more possible. But I would love for this to be true. Also had some random guy yesterday, I think we were talking about this, just say that the Mets were close to a deal with Jorge Soler and nobody has confirmed that whatsoever. Like, and for those those of you who, who see these reports out here, like, For those of you who do these reports, I just want to say, like, just, like, you got to stop doing this. Like, just stop doing it. Like, it's just tired. It's a tired bit. Like, we get it. Everyone wants to be right. Everyone wants to do that. But it's like, unless you have actual information and can confirm, like, contract details and different types of things that are other things... I don't need to see Solaire and the Mets are close to a deal. Like, give me a little bit more than that. I need to know a little bit more of that information to know that if you're legit or not. Here's the thing. I'm okay with the Mets taking a step back this offseason. I've already established that. But if they want a DH, if they want to address the DH position, from what I have seen for the last five years of how it has been around Pete Alonso, carrying this offense for five years, don't establish a limit on this. If you want a dh go get your dh go get one of the best available because this has been a problem no matter what if they don't want to pursue a dh as heavily as they should don't even bother give your playing time to mark vientos give your playing time to dj Stort. i don't even care to be honest the only way that they go at the dh position in my opinion should be all in it should be all in after what you have seen with alonzo for the last five years just go full force at a DH, I'm fine with a guy like Corey Soler. Like go after go after Corey Soler. If you need to give him a multi year deal to get that done, get that done. Go after JD Martinez if you want to get JD Martinez. Justin Turner, I'm even fine with. I'm okay with they don't want to prioritize it because I've that's what my my expe- expectation is. But if they want a DH, get a freaking DH. Don't get me a Daniel Vogelbach. Don't get me a Darren Ruff. Do me a, don't do a reunion with Dom Smith. Don't do that crap. Okay. Give me a legitimate DH to protect Alonzo. If you don't want to do that, if you're not showing the big willingness to do that, don't even fucking bother. Don't bother at all. If they want to build a competitive lineup, Harrison Bader ain't going to do that. <laughs> Joey Wendell ain't going to do that. I even tweeted this out because, you know, like all we can do is imagine with this, the top of this lineup, we already know it's probably going to be top heavy this year again. I have it as Nimmo in left field, because he's probably going to play more left field. Alvarez at catcher, batting second. Lindor batting third at shortstop. Pete Alonso at first base. And then you have Jorge Soler at DH. Perfect top five, in my opinion. And then you have the rest of the fucking misfits. Who gives a shit? But you need somebody past Pete Alonso. 30 home run power threats in Alvarez, who could possibly do that in a full season. Lindor was 30 home runs. Most likely it would be like 25 next year. Pete Alonso is Pete Alonso. You have 240 home run power threats at the at the top of this lineup. I need somebody past Pete Alonso, That's not Jeff McNeil batting fit. And it's not just three hitters pulling the weight.
0: With Solaire, before he signed his contract with the Marlins a couple of years ago, um, that's someone that you really want the Mets to get even that season at that time. And I think that after that, you know, he opted out of the deal because he played so well, the fact that he's still such a high priority for the Mets I, just shows how long this has been going on of it being a problem. So it's like, you had your opportunity a couple years ago, you didn't do it. And it's like, he's here again. And you still need him. You know what I mean? And like, this is one of those very few times where this happens and it's not a guy who's like 39 years old and like, Oh, he's finally available again, but now he's 39. Like at least he's still 31 and you have another opportunity to get him. So again, it's like, it's right there. As far as the lineup, I agree with you. However, I believe
1: Alvarez should be batting ninth. No,
0: well not, not that I think starting Marte is going to bat second again. I just, I get the feeling they're going to go with the veteran. It's where he wants the bat. They're going to put Marte second. And then I still get the sense that they're going to start it off with, unless they add somebody, I still think McNeil is going to bat after Alonzo. I think that, you know, while I think they should do something different, I think Alonzo should be batting second. First of all, I, I think it should be Nemo, Alonzo, then Lindor, if you had Soler, J.D., whatever, they, they go there. But if not, you got to do Alvarez. And then, like you said, just figure out the rest of those guys, whoever just playing well at that point. Um, because, again, with Beatty and Bader, who knows? And then Vientos, it's a, it's a pure hope. And then Marte, health, McNeil, again, hopefully bounce back. So, like, there's just so many question marks with those other guys. Uh, again, I, I think there are other ways to construct this lineup, but that's how I think they're going to do it. I just feel like it's just the sense I get. It's what they've done. I don't see it changing. Uh, I just think that ego is a thing. You know what I mean? Like they paid Marte a good amount of money. They're batting him second or, or somewhere near the top. I mean, that's just ultimately what they're going to end up doing. I think the same thing goes for Jeff McNeil. This is a guy that has tenure now. They gave him the extension. They all started the batting out, things like that. He's going to be somewhere in that top half. Like whether we agree with it or not, it's probably what they're going to end up doing. Uh, And again, I want to see them approach differently, but they cannot have Alvarez bat ninth or 8th or anything like that again. That's absolute. You can't do that. That's just insane. With the lineup that you have. Like, if you had a great lineup, sure, put him in the bottom. Take the pressure off the rookie, off the catcher. Fine. But your lineup is so bad that he's actually one of the best hitters, so he needs to be towards the top. Like, so... Again, there's other ways that they should do it, but I think ultimately that's how they're going to. But, and again, that's why it is so important that they actually get another established power bat. So it it gives them even more flexibility and it's more viable if you want to try these, you know, veteran, you know, tenure contract, all this other stuff. I
1: will say that if McNeil is batting after Alonzo, the worst power hitter in the entire lineup by far you're asking to lose you are actually asking to lose like i understand listen if you want to if you want to protect a power hitter with a batting champion first of all go fuck yourself but second of all you just can't look at this lineup and just say yeah jeff mcneil after this top 4 he's the next best hitter and i'm going to put him after alonzo like it just i personally don't care what they're making or what they're doing again like i've looked at at marte as a as a non-factor for a long time but i can't imagine just having a recipe for success where you have the worst power hitter behind alonso
0: i'm gonna ask you some questions who's a better hitter jeff McNeil or harrison bader
1: bader better quality of contact pulls fly balls doesn't scream at himself
0: ultimately harrison bader is giving you a wrc plus that you love under 100 below average overall Offensive production when it comes with the to shift
1: it. going away. I haven't really liked WRC plus as much as you think I have. But Jeff McNeil's got to be in the bottom third if you're going to have any well, chance. Who's,
0: well, who's well uh, next one? Would you rather you like Jeff McNeil more or you like Brett Beatty?
1: I like Mark Vientos more.
0: That's not what I'm talking about. That's a different position. I'm talking about third base right now.
1: With how they've structured it in this lineup, the DH has to be fit. Like it has to be. Like how they've structured it with like all these lower tier lineup guys, like freaking Bader and and you know Marte, like. The best case scenario is the DH batting fifth. Like, as you're looking at it, you know, if, if Mark Vientos is Mark Vientos, again, I would love to get a freaking DH bat like, like Jorge Soler, but the best, the best case scenario, it has to be Vientos batting behind Pete Alonso. Like, that's, that's the best case scenario. If they don't get a
0: DH, I'd love to. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying. So, like, if we're under the I, again, I don't think they're going to add a DH. So let's no, say they yeah. don't. It, the question is: Is Vientos batting after Alonzo? Is Alvarez batting after Alonzo? You know that that's really important. Or do they end up doing McNeil again? like that's that's really what it comes down to it's
1: so stupid like to me like thinking of a dh as a luxury like that's just dumb after what you've seen for the last oh, uh, cool. five exactly. years I agree. I agree yeah. That, yeah but then also saying that okay well this we can just do a full 180 and just be like okay we're not gonna get protective cool. for alonzo let's put the worst power hitter behind him to protect him like that's just it's just like a full 180 like it, you don't understand what course they'd be on if they don't get a dh you know if you want to protect them with Freaking Justin Turner, J.D. Martinez. Like, I'm fine with that. It's just like, if I see Jeff McNeil protecting Pete Alonzo, protecting Pete Alonzo again, I'm jumping off a bridge. That means that they have absolutely learned nothing. Like, they have learned absolutely nothing for the last five fucking years that you've seen with Pete Alonzo carrying this entire goddamn offense. Like, I don't give a shit about Jeff McNeil's batting titles. I don't care about his off to all-star selection. I don't care about any of that. They cannot bat him after Pete Alonzo. Like, that is a, like, one, there's, there's some other guys they can't put about behind Alonzo. but how, you've seen, how you see this lineup, I'd rather literally just give it to Mark Vientos to bat fifth behind Alonzo than anybody else on this fucking lineup. I would, I much prefer Alvarez in front of Alonzo. Like, I, I just prefer
0: it like that way. Well, if you put Alvarez in front of Alonzo, where would you put him?
1: I'd put Alvarez too. Batting second to me is like a low on base guy that gets a lot of extra base hits that swings the damn bat when your leadoff hitter uh, gets on.
0: Well, what we've seen is that a lot of cases, there's, second hitter is the best hitter. I mean, that's where Aaron Judge bats. That's where yeah, of course. Yes, occasionally Mike Travis bats. But like every team has a different philosophy. And sure. there's two things that are prominent. Number one, Davis has never had a stacked lineup with a bunch of power hitters. Yeah, that's you know, the wherever That you get to see how he stacks lineups. Number two, Carlos Mendoza's has never been a major league manager. So you don't know his trends either. So I, I think you have two unknowns as far as this kind of team what they're going to do with it. So, until they, uh, again, assuming they do anybody, we'll see what they actually do. But I would not be shocked if they did do what they did before of Marte second and McNeil fifth and then Alvarez, God knows where like my like mind. Right
1: if i had it my way jeff mcneil's lucky to be on the fucking lineup like the guy just has zero power like he's irrelevant to me
0: but you're replacing with Joey Wendell, who has even less power so
1: you have so many nine hole hitters here that like i i don't need a nine hole hitter protecting alonso like it's just so ridiculous like if if mcneil again i say this all the goddamn time if mcneil was the leadoff hitter if he was leading off he would be perfect but you spent $162 million for a guy to do that. So it just makes McNeil so irrelevant. The, the job would go to Ronnie Mauricio, in my opinion, at second base, if he was actually healthy, but he's not. I say McNeil sucks because I hate his hitting profile, and I don't think it's going to get any better. To this lineup, he's not valued. To every other lineup, maybe he is valuable. And he, for some reason, he's being valued so much that you see him batting fifth behind Pete Alonso. It's just stupid. Like it's Well,
0: I think... I, th- I think it's a combination of they value him because of his past accolades and things. But again, the like we said, there's so many guys who just aren't that great and not proven that who are you really going to go above? You know, again, like uh, uh, realistically with the way Beatty has performed, they had to send him to the minor leagues again last year because he was that awful. And, to me, again, Bader first of all needs to be healthy, and number two, I just don't think he's all that good. So again, like, again, like there, there's the, also the combination of the other options aren't that great, where they don't have any other like uh, proven power sources, consistent power sources outside of like we said, it's very top heavy.
1: You put somebody in that that batting fifth position, it makes that lineup so goddamn better. They're seeing that as a luxury. For some reason, it looks to me that they think that vientos is a good is good enough power protection for pete he and, and that's be. and that's,
0: he be, that's, the, but that's like, the thing that's so annoying about vientos is that he has great pure power like he has that like more vientos is a power hitter in the sense that like he can hit a bunch of home runs he get the ball far but like he hasn't he hasn't done the major league level yet and, and he that's hasn't why it consistently. it's consistently. Like, yeah exactly uh, yeah exactly and like that's why again i feel like he can do it but I don't love this idea of, okay, we fully trust him and we fully trust Brett B. That's the thing that bothers me the most is that they have full trust in both of them where I'm like...
1: Right now, they have a top four, a bunch of prospects and noodles. That's it. Like, that's yeah, all you no, have. Yeah,
0: that's all what work I'm down to. Yeah.
1: That's literally what you're looking at. You have just have a bunch of pool noodles. You hit the ball 60 miles an hour. Jeff McNeil. Then you have a bunch of prospects that are unproven. And then you have the top of the lineup, which, you know, you got star power there that... Stearns has never dealt with before. I don't... They need to fill the five hole. They need to fill that five hole right now. And and I'm okay if they want to go with Mark Vientos if they don't get a DH. But it's like, you can't have the worst fucking power hitter protecting Alonso. Who is intimidated by Jeff McNeil? No one. No one is intimidated. Like, there is no... He has less intimidation than Daniel Vogelbach. Get me a... Because how they pretty much kind of catty-cornered this team, bringing in Harrison Bader, kind of betting on on Marte bouncing back. There's not really many holes to really fill except the DH position and except the guy who's batting fifth. Like, if they want to put a power hitter behind uh, Alonzo and then McNeil sixth, sure, I don't care. Do, Do I prefer McNeil to just be gone? Yes, but if you put him sixth, fine. I'm not putting Brett Beatty over Jeff McNeil is as stupid as you know as stupid as I hate I don't like Jeff McNeil I'm not putting Beatty over him I'm not putting Bader over him
0: that's the point I was making before is that is that by default he's gonna they need to sandwich by, somebody
1: yeah. in between Alonzo and McNeil they have to do that because you're literally asking to lose by putting the worst power hitter to power protect Pete Alonso.
0: so that was my main point that I was getting to is that yeah. these other guys like it's not happening if Viento struggles again yeah. and what like what then? What do they do? Like because again, he, he hasn't done it yet. Like DJ if Stewart, like that's a thing. And, and, like it's again, like it's ridiculous. I know. A guy they need like to get a back here. They need to do it. Yeah, yeah you're relying on a guy like a one month. You know, hoorah, and then went back to cold. Like seriously, uh, a journeyman like this is this is like this now. This was protecting P. Alonzo. Like come.
1: So speaking of Pete Alonso, now at this current moment, the Mets have yet to discuss a long-term contract extension with Pete Alonso this offseason. But as for more from John Heyman's podcast, David Stearns also spoke on the upcoming free agency of Alonzo and his future with the Mets. Stearns stated that Alonzo is one of the best power hitters in baseball, and we are fortunate to have him. He's a homegrown player. He cares about our organization and, and clearly the fan base, and our organization cares about him. We'd love to keep that going for a long time according to jim bowden of cvs sports the mets new front office under stearns has indicated a desire for Alonso to finish his career as a Met. Alonso has told teammates that his preference is to spend the rest of his career with the mets that's usually a good sign however his agent scott boris has a long history of taking his clients to free agency versus signing an extension with their team the mets listened when teams called about Alonso, but were never seriously considering trading him at least not yet. They could reevaluate the situation at the trade deadline, but likely will keep him through this season and then be willing to match the best offer he receives in free agency. Earlier this week, the Mets and Alonso settled at $20.5 million for 2024 to avoid arbitration with their star slugger. And as for across just five years in the majors, Alonso is already fourth all-time in home runs for Mets history, 10th in runs batted in, third in slugging percentage, fifth in OPS, and also leads the majors in home runs and runs batted in since his major league debut in 2019. Alonso is now 29 years old and is set to become a free agent after this upcoming season, represented by baseball's high roller, Scott Boris.
0: For years, I've been saying that he should have been extended. I I think that the Mets could have saved themselves a lot of trouble if it was one of the first things they did once Steve Cohen took over. I mean, that's how highly I I would have prioritized this move because instead you decide to, like we said, get all these 40-year-olds, do all these other things, this, that, and the other. And now it's like, okay, look at the situation we're in. We could have not only saved ourselves time, stress, but in the long run, the Mets could have actually saved money if they did the extension before he continued to have great year after great year after great year, continually increasing his value so i they have approached this whole thing wrong they could have fixed this a long time ago they decided not to and i I said in the beginning that you know we've seen steve cohen off these 300 million dollar contracts that people haven't taken but somehow they have a 10 million dollar budget the way i like to look at it is that i hope that when the opportunity presents itself that's where the money really opens up and i feel like once Alonso does hit free agency that's where steve cohen's money has to open up you know We already lost our Wheeler and, you know, whoever else you want to mention. This is the guy they can't lose. I mean, like we've said, this guy has carried this team. He's been the heart and soul of this team. He's been really the only production they've had when it comes to actually scoring runs, which is the ultimate, you know, we'll talk about run prevention, all this other stuff. Scoring runs is what matters. Like you said, most RBIs, that's what I love. I love those old man stats. Like, he brings in runs. So, it's so important that I just think that, you know what, when it comes to free agency next season, no matter what, they've got to retain them. Uh, you know, however, Stern's, whatever, that's just how it is. Uh, because it's like we've talked about in the, in the past who's going to replace them? You know, like if you're, oh, we have Mark Vientos, we don't need Soler. Like if you're ready to have that approach, now imagine what it looks like if you don't have Alonzo, too. Now it's like, okay, now what does your power really look like? The team would just – it wouldn't be a good team at all. Like, they already had a bad year. The team would would be awful without him. And we've seen it in the win-loss record in the very limited amount of times when he's been hurt by other teams, not got injured, been hurt by other teams. We've seen how bad they are without him. And the difference he makes when he's in the lineup versus out of the lineup. So it should just be the ultimate priority as far as keeping this guy – and obviously Boris going to make it go to free agency uh, and they're not going to be able to get the extension done. So I think that when the time comes next off season, they just got to get it done as soon as possible just to get out of the way. Like I'm glad they got the Nimmo thing out of the way early in the off season this past year. So it didn't linger too far on, you know, towards February, January, things like that. I really want to see them do the same thing with Lonzo. Wherever the number is sure, go for it. He's not going to get 300 million, whatever. Like if it's near the Matt Olson deal, perfect. We'll do that. That's great. And, and then you keep him, and then we're all done with this. Don't have to talk about it anymore it, because there really shouldn't be a discussion. Like, there shouldn't be a scenario where there isn't Alonzo. Uh, and it's not so much the player, but it's also the person and what he means to the team as far as, as a homegrown talent and being the spokesperson for this team. Like, he does, like, so many other things that are not just on the baseball field that he should be a top priority to retain. Uh, down in a few-
1: When I look at this Pete Alonzo scenario, I'm not panicking yet. I really am not because I think that we're in like this comfortable situation where we have seen Alonzo prefer to stay with the Mets. He loves to be with the Mets. This is like the, his maybe a little too much, but the whole situation with Scott Boris. We've seen him publicly say that, you know, the polar bear's not in any hibernation, whatever the bullshit he says. Boris and Alonso, they're not straying away from the possibility of signing an extension. They're not in any hibernation with that or whatever. We saw them settle at $20.5 million. Maybe there's a possibility where it's in the ballpark of the AV that he would receive with a big contract extension. Maybe it might be like $23, 24000000 $25 million something like that so it's like in that somewhat ballpark so i think that they got a little closer but i did say honestly i said this on twitter like a few days ago i kind of really see it not go through so then it gave them a little bit more space and like more breathing room to discuss a possible extension we've seen that with a few players in their last year of their contract that happened i'm not worried about pete alonso leaving like i think that there's a good chance at this current moment that he will stay and wants to stay. Right now, they're in a situation where they should not take it for granted that Boris is willing to listen. And I think that there are going to be contract extension talks. I don't think they're gonna get far, but there has to be a point where the Mets need to gain common ground. And there should not be a situation where we hear one week before opening day, the Mets and Alonso have not discussed shit. Like that, I don't want to hear. That's when I'll start to panic a little bit because then you're going to piss him off and then you're going to, and then, you know, there's a possibility where, you know, he hits 70 home runs and you're going to be overpaying like 400 million for the guy. I need to see the Mets gain progress on this. I'm not expecting an extension to happen this off season. I think we've all accepted that, but I need to see the Mets gain some ground on this with Boris, with Alonso. See what you have here. I think you got a decent benchmark in $20.5 million in his ARB 3. Like, having his ear right now for this year, like, that is the only, like, that's the only advantage that you have. Right now, I'm okay with it. Middle of January, Having discussion extension, they still have tons of things to do in the off season with their bullpen and other things. By the time it's opening day and we don't see a single update, that's when I'm starting to get nervous because there wouldn't be any common ground that was gained at all throughout an entire off season that you could have had these discussions.
0: There's been opportunities. There have been, uh, so they of only have themselves to blame for this. And the main thing is you just don't want to see another Jacob DeGrom snare where they knew they weren't going to keep him and don't trade them. You you know what I mean? Like to lose him for nothing. Like, I would rather they traded him than lose him for nothing, ultimately, is what it comes down
1: to. You need to hear like, oh, the Mets offered this, he countered with this, the Mets offered this. Like, there has to be some kind of progress. Because if the Mets did not have any extension talks, with Boris already saying that we're not opposed to it, that's an issue. That is a 100% issue, and you're taking it for granted we all know how Scott Boris is. That now brings us to the questions that you guys sent to us. For those of you who do not know, if you want to ask us a question, make sure to click the link in the description, fill out our form with your name, your Mets-related question, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. This one is coming from Joe Dark 76 Do you think Marte should DH to keep him healthy for the entire season? We have talked about Marte a lot this offseason, Marte DHing.
0: I mean, I don't hate it. Uh, I think it kind of goes into what I was saying, that if they signed Solaire, it's a lot more feasible because, again, you're able to do it while still having quality bats in the lineup. It's hard for them to do it with Mark Vientos here unless you want DJ Stewart making starts in the outfield or if you wanted to get really... I mean, like... It, it's just not really a good scenario with this current team because you could do something really weird where you want to have the worst defense in the league. You could put Vientos at third, make Beatty a second baseman, and then put McNeil in the outfield, and then all of a sudden Marte a DH. Like, I, mean, like, I just think with the current team that they have right now, they can't do it yet. I, I think they need to add a piece that can play the outfield in order to do it again like Teoscar is nobody's it is to be really purple like we're talking about 100 red we talk about so many different guys that could have filled this role that could have accomplished a lot of things that they just didn't do so i don't hate it and i think it is a good idea occasionally just to keep him here throughout the entire season but i don't think starling Marte's bad is a dh for 162 i think the ultimate Like, he still can be a valuable player, like we said, with his talent. But that has to do with in the field, with his arm, with his speed, stealing bases. Like, it's not so much as bad. Like, it's all the other things he does that makes him a a good player. So, I I think that they need to add someone else if they're going to do that. They can't do it right now with the current pieces they have. Because it it just – it ultimately will be a net negative with what it would do to your defense.
1: I think that I say this in the style of Elmer Fudd. If I see Marte DHing at all this year, I'm going to be furious. I am going to be so pissed. It's not really just like him DHing, limited power, whatever. The fact that they signed Harrison Bader, which kind of just like pushes the DH options out a little bit more, you have put yourself in a position, like we just said with Jorge Soler and all that stuff, where you need to have a home run hitter at your DH position. Whether you go with the young guy in Mark Vientos and give him the leash, or you bring in somebody. Again, I don't need to see Starling Marte protecting Alonzo. I don't need to see Jeff McNeil batting fifth. I don't need to see, like right now you have, again, catty-cornered yourself into a situation where the DH bats fifth and the DH needs to have power because of the Harrison Bader, what you're betting on Marte keeping Jeff McNeil. I have said multiple times, Starling Marte should be looked at as a non-option this offseason. Why would I put a non-option in the biggest possible problem that the Mets have had for the last five years? Why would I do that? Like, I'm looking at him as a non-option. Why would I look at him as a DH option? I understand he's 35 years old and he's got injury history. I'm okay with putting him in right field with the risk right now. When you brought in Harrison Bader and all of these outfield depth positions, they have no choice but to put him in right field. And if it doesn't work, oh freaking well. I'm not putting this dude at DH. It's not happening. I'm just not putting Starling Marte at DH because they have put themselves in the situation where the DH has to be a power hitter and the DH has to bat fifth because of all the nine hole hitters that they have here with Beatty and McNeil and Bader. I'm not putting a starling marte who was banged up last year who has a shit contract at DH that's just not going to happen again i i understand the seniority who probably will be dhing and batting second knowing our luck i'm okay settling for in-house options at dh but like come on that's ridiculous and i and i i i, I apologize for you know cursing out whoever just asked us that but it's just like
0: it's, it's just, not you. It's, it's the team. Like it's not the viewers' fault. Like it's just the team being no, dumb. Like it's absolutely. Just, not. Like I, again. Like we said, I like his idea with the right pieces around him. The Mets just don't have those pieces right now. But the the his idea of keeping him healthy, we're all for but I just think the team that they have, it's not, they can't do it yet.
1: Your rapid fire stories for this week. There is a lot of them. So strap in folks. The Mets have avoided arbitration with six players. After agreeing to terms with DJ Stewart earlier this off season, the Mets have settled at $20.5 million with Pete Alonso, 5.1 million with Adrian Hauser, 2.2 million with David Peterson, 2.2 million with Drew Smith, 2.1 million with Tyrone Taylor, and 1.6 million with Joey Lucchesi. The only arbitration case on, Settled for the Mets belongs to right-handed pitcher Phil Bickford. The Mets have signed right-handed pitcher Yaxel Rios and left-handed pitcher Danny Young to minor league contracts. Rios is 30 years old and spent 2023 with the A's while featured in the World Baseball Classic for Team Puerto Rico. Young is 29 years old and spent 2023 with the Braves posting a 1.08 earned run average in 8.1 innings pitched at the major league level. The Mets have claimed right-handed pitcher Max Kranick off of waivers from Pittsburgh. Kranick is 20. 26 years old and underwent Tommy John surgery in 2022 and pitched just 20.2 innings in the minor leagues last year. The Mets have also designated catcher Cooper Hummel for assignment as the corresponding move. The Mets have designated infielder Diego Castillo for assignment as the corresponding move for Sean Manaya who was introduced this week. Castillo was claimed on waivers by the Mets last week from Arizona. The White Sox have signed outfielder Rafael Ortega to a minor league contract. Ortega spent all of 2023 in the Mets organization sampling just 136 plate appearances at the major league level. The Dodgers have signed right-handed pitcher Eliezer Hernandez to a minor league contract. Hernandez was acquired by the Mets from the Marlins last offseason and did not appear in a single major league game battling multiple injuries in 2023. Former Mets prospect Anthony Kay has signed with the NPB's Yokohama Base Stars. K was a former first-round pick by the Mets back in 2016 and was one of the main pieces sent to Toronto in the Marcus Stroman trade back in 2019 before the Mets reclaimed K off of waivers last season. Top prospects Kevin Parada, Jet Williams, and Blade Tidwell have all been invited to 2024 Big League Camp. All three of these prospects were selected by the Mets in the 2022 MLB draft. Mets prospects Drew Gilbert and Luis Angelicuna will begin 2024 in Triple A Syracuse. Both prospects were acquired by the Mets during last year's trade deadline in exchange for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Former Mets infielder Bud Harrelson has passed. Passed away at the age of 79. Harrelson was a member of the 1969 World Series team and spent 13 years with the Mets as a two-time All-Star and a gold glover in 1971. Parting words for episode number 37. The only man to wear it was Casey Stengel, the first ever manager in Mets history in 1962.
0: Like we said for this episode, you know, you read a lot of things, you hear a lot of things, but until it actually happens is where you can actually put stock into it. So, uh, and again, it's like we're getting closer to the regular season starting and spring training and all that stuff. So I'm just kind of done with the rumors. I want to see action. If you're going to get some players, let's get them. You know, let's stop having all these fake accounts and fake reports and things like that. Let's get some, you know, bullpen pitchers. Obviously, I'd like a DH. Don't think it's going to happen. But let's just kind of finish this thing up and let's see what happens when it really matters.
1: Just, you know, finish it up. I'm, I'm okay with anything that they do at this point because I was, I, again, I just did not have high expectations. I thought that it was just going to be more of a one-year smart and savvy deals, of course. Again, if the opportunity presents itself, they got to go for it. They have to go for it because there are pieces that are here for not many long one being Pete Alonso, like we have just said. Hopefully this offseason uh, starts to pick up a little bit because I'm pretty sure I did calculations. There's like 170 free agents left, and it's, uh, still, it's the middle of January. So this is actually insane at the rate it's going. Hopefully we get some news. We'll get to see where everybody goes, who the Mets pick up, and uh, when that does happen, we will be going live for the breaking news regarding any of the additions that the Mets make to their 40-man roster. So other than that, we'll see you guys next time for episode number 38. Let's go, Mets. Peace out.